Common Roots Rising is cultivating community through conversations. We are integrating innovative ideas, relationships, and connections while raising creativity and collaboration. Today, we are in the Oz Nature Area's sugar bush. Yeah, what are we today. doing here today? What does that mean? Well, we're working on tapping maple trees. So this is a this is a half inch tap, and normally we're just tapping a tree. So we're drilling a hole. And once there's a hole is drilled, then you put the tap up and get it pinched into the into the hole, and then literally take a hammer and tap it in until it's good and snug. The hole in the tree actually collects the, the sap, and then there's a little hole inside the tap here that allows the, that sap to run into the, the spigot, and then that's got the little drip edge to it. And, and then you have to have some form of collection, so I use plastic bag and a, uh, what's called a bag holder and other people will use a pail that was more the traditional thing, a galvanized pail, and you'd hang pails all over the place and they had covers for them, and some people use PVC pipe in a bag, and so there's all different kinds. People that are much more serious about this, they have hoses that actually go right onto the tap, and then it all runs to some central area where it's all collected. So this is more the, I guess you'd say, this is sort of the modified traditional thing. It's a breezy day today, so what happens if, does the wind have it, its way with the bag sometimes and? Yes, it'll, I mean, the, and that's some, sometimes depending on, you know, what the weather is doing, uh, leaving a little bit of sap in the bag just to have it be a little bit of weight is, is not always a bad thing. Um, you know, uh, the the risk always is is that that the sap freezes, and then you have to wait till it all falls out before you can actually empty the bag. Otherwise, you got this big lump of ice in there. Um, though I do know some people that will they'll they take advantage of of that. They'll uh, they'll throw the ice away because what's left as liquid is is more concentrated sugar. What you have left to boil down is going to be more concentrated. And so it's easier to, you know, you don't have as much work to do on, on the boiling side of things. How do we know when is the most opportune moment to start doing this? What has to you happen? You tell me when you find that out. <laughs> so it's not an exact science. No, the, the idea is that you have to have cold nights, below freezing nights, warm days, preferably warm sunny days, uh, is kind of when it starts to, to run. So I, I mean, I'll start watching the calendar and kind of looking at what the weather's doing uh, and looking for that period of time where you're saying, okay, well, it looks like there's going to be a number of days where we're going to have freezing nights and warm above freezing days, uh, which is usually the very end of February or the first part of March, somewhere in there. Uh, and that's usually the beginning of the run. So you, you know. actually still need the freezing nights. Yes, if it doesn't freeze at night, I mean, if it's too warm at night, it doesn't run very well the following day. 
typically. Typically, again, none of it's quite, well, you can see, you know, if you look at the different bags out here, there are empty ones, and then there are ones that have quite a bit of sap in them, it, you know, so there's, there's that whole variation in things too, and, and, you know, in a few days, this, this one may be full, and some other one that was full is now not, you know, not doing so well, though there are some, some trees that are, you know, they're, champion producer so do you give those trees extra loving care Russ that's I good do, that would know. be important to me good you regular know. hugs they get, and not you know, only regular you, hugs for the champions job, but also for job. the for the ones who could do yeah, a little you know, better right, right you right. have to give them exactly. a little pep talk right you know you can do it <laughs> I can you can have me come out I'll give the pep talks you tell me which no, trees the, to the tree oh, you can do it, it. you can do it here I thought you were asking me to be the trees cheerleader yeah, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like plasma donation, though, you know. Right. So. so today we're learning how to do tree pep talks while we're tapping trees with with Russ Butkiewicz. It's true. I mean, it's I mean, it's uh, it's kind of a I I don't know all the physics behind it, but I'm I'm thinking that what has to happen in part is you've got you know this cold concentrated material in the roots and then as the tree starts to warm up that the 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 capillary in the in the wood itself is starting to expand you know and that's part of what's got to draw the the sap up right. the tree um, so so we are at the Oz natural area on the northeast side of Wapaka, really close to the industrial area, but it also have this beautiful natural area that um, Russ and Kari are taking care of and preserving and sharing with the community for those people that are interested in learning about some conservation. So can you share more about what, what you're doing out here at Oz? Well, I mean, part of what we're Part of what we're doing is um, what's called silviculture, which is the the growing of trees and forests and in uh, commodities for that. That and as part of that, we do a lot of uh, a lot of invasive removal, uh, barberry and buckthorn, and uh, there's there's a lot of bittersweet in here too that needs to come out. Um, you know, and then you're you're selectively looking at some of the trees that are small or deformed, or you know, in some some way, especially where there's crowding going on, uh, that you may selectively harvest some of those trees. Um, we leave a lot of standing dead timber, though, too, because that's an important habitat for the wildlife and. That's part of what silviculture is all about too. Is that it's it's really about trying to maintain forest health, uh, not just for human use, but for you know all all of you know all of the plants and animals. You know, trying yeah. not to have any any one thing dominate, but you know, trying to work with the the ecosystem and uh, help to make it work. We just saw a pileated woodpecker fly by just as you were talking. The, the, the woodpeckers like it out here, obviously. He must not have wanted to be a part of the audio, though, because we didn't hear his call. No. <laughs> <laughs> we can 
invite him back in. They're they're around. They're around. They're hairy woodpeckers and downy woodpeckers too. And well, what's next, Russ? Yeah, what's next with the tapping? There's the. I guess some of it's the adapt, uh, adapting to what the conditions are as far as you know. Some of the taps I'll have propped up with a little stick of wood to uh, position the tap properly in the bag and um, others I've got there's a couple of taps that are broken that uh, I've got bungee cords to hold the the holding bag closer to the tree so that the sap actually runs in the bag rather than dripping on the outside um, and then we got to go I got to collect the sap and pour it in buckets and then from there I take it back home and uh, I pour the sap through a filter to remove all the little bits and pieces and twigs and bits of bark and um, actually one of the things that you find as as spring progresses here that um, uh, I'll end up collecting some moths inside the bags um, and uh, you know I try and try and chase them out as best you can and I'll fish them out of the sap every once in a while and you know put them on a put them on a branch or something and hope they uh, they make it and some of them drown of course but uh, um, I filter all that out. So how much sap do you think you'll get here at, at Oz? Well I don't you know I don't think I, I get tired before <laughs> that runs out uh, so uh, we'll easily easily collect uh, 120 gallons of sap uh, is um, you know, somewhere, I think last last time I ended up, I gave about, I probably had more like 160 gallons of sap, and um, and I gave the last 40 to a friend of mine, because I was like, ah, that's enough, I'm done. But now, you how know. many gallons of sap does it take to make one gallon about, of syrup? About 40 gallons of sap. 40 gallons yep. one gallon. Yep, you're, the, the, the sap that you have, the first sap that you get is more concentrated. So that might be like, that might be 30 to 1 or 35 to 1. Um, and then it gets, it gets a little more dilute as the season goes on. Um, and you can do the same thing. You can, you can actually um, uh, tap uh, box elder trees, uh, which they're also a member of the maple family. And apparently you'll get, you'll get material that's it's got more of a butterscotch flavor to it. Uh, but that's more like 60 to 1. To get it to finish it, wow. so it's a it's a lot more boiling. Wow. So, but uh, you know, I'll give that a try some someday. And somebody else was just telling us about uh, that you can tap um, black walnut trees mm -hmm. uh, for bitters. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't yeah, know what a lot you, of the other trees I have. I don't know what you have to do to actually make make it into bitters. I, right. I don't they know have that. medicinal qualities, a lot of the other trees. Well, yeah. And these, maple I mean, maple does too. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of phytoprotective mm -hmm. uh, elements and there's some thought that some of that may translate over to, to people. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm not going to say that maple syrup is a health food, but you never know. <laughs> I'd like to consider it one. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of things we'd like to consider it. A spoonful of maple syrup. Right. Yeah, this there we is go. true. This is true. Yes. Yeah, that is one of the things I, I I use the maple syrup for making homemade granola, and that's that's always a nice thing to share with people. For so. sure. 
Russ, do you know about the difference between grade A and grade B maple syrup? Well, there's a difference. The difference, as far as I know it, is really has to do with the color of the of the finished product as far as whether it's this real light amber or it's a darker color. Uh, and again, some of that stuff, your the color can change through the season. Um, the the later the later sap will tend to yield a darker syrup. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, some of that is it's sort of artificial in a sense because the the darker syrup will sometimes have a, a richer flavor to it. You know, it just sort of depends on what your you know your own personal preference is that way. Because it's I you know I sometimes think that the uh, the darker stuff is tastes better. Um, you know, it just doesn't it doesn't maybe doesn't look as pretty on the store shelf. But well, that, you know, that all depends on beauty is in the eye of the beholder, Russ. <laughs> but that's where they get some of that. That's that's the grading system, as far as I understand it, is really about the color of the finished product. It's interesting. That's what I've heard also. And in the circles that I'm, um, the medicinal and herbal people circles, I like frequenting those. And the grade B syrup, because it's darker, they say that the mineral content in the grade B is actually stronger, like the color, and that it will have more of a molasses type of a flavor, a richer, deeper flavor. You can look at the difference, because like I don't, I will process the, the sap as as I get it, you know. So I, if I've got enough to do a boil, I'll do a boil, and then you collect more later on, and you do another boil, uh, and you can see sometimes that there's a difference between, and there's difference year to year too. I mean, there are some years where this where the syrup is incredibly light, and other years where it's fairly dark, and you know, and I I can only assume that that has to sort of do with what the year was like before for the trees and that it's affecting whatever's in the sap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so can, can you notice a difference in the taste of this syrup in the earlier part or, or as you said it, it changes color and gets thicker? There's a difference. I, I don't know that I can attribute that difference always to the the sap itself, you know, I think sometimes it's, you know, how much of that has to do with um, how you did in terms of the boil and the finish of the boil, and there are different methods as far as determining how you, you know, when your product is finished. People that have been doing it a long time, they can kind of do it visually, and there's a there's a spoon method where, you know, as you're spooning the sap or the syrup that how it drips off the end of the spoon that there's a there's a certain point in there where it's finished product um, I use the I use a temperature method uh, if you're seven degrees above boiling uh, that's that's supposed to be finished um, other people use a hygrometer and a specific gravity method I, the one guy that that used to talk to me about that he'd uh, he'd get it to just just that point where that's supposed to be finished product and he said he'd give it just a little bit longer so it was just a little bit thicker but if you go too far then you got then it's too concentrated and then then the sugars want to crystal out like the perfect blending of art and science well i think there's there's yeah i think there is because there's that part of it that you say you know it's like okay well this is supposed to be 
the finish point, but uh, if I give it just a little bit more, it turns out a little bit better, you know, that it's, and there's, I, that understanding of what that, you know, how much little bit is, is what's right, you know, I think that's the art part of it. Do you think, um, you know, how much wind and smoke you have with your fire to kind of affects flavor? It probably does. You know, I mean, I, I, I think there's, you know, I, I tend to burn sort of what I have, have around. Um, you know, this year I'll be burning a lot of uh, um, popple probably, but um, the... I'm sure that you know the. I mean, the smoke definitely gets into the syrup. That adds to the the flavor. There's a certain amount of stuff that you have to skim off as you're as you're boiling and that. And um, you know, if you want to come back sometime and when when I'm boiling, we can. Do you boil sit. right out here as well? I I don't. Um, I mean, I, at some point I might, but um, I've I've gone to. Right now, I've just been boiling in the backyard because it's a long process, uh, and so I can go. I get stuff set up to where I can, um, I can start to drip the sap <clears throat> in part of the, in part of the pan, and um, have the fire going and get things stoked up and that things are, you know, at a good point. Um, you know, and then you then you can go in the house and go do something else, and then you come back out and you you know check things and you know get your fire going some more. And um, you don't have a little cabin out here with a wood stove, nothing, so nothing like that yet. You know, um, yeah. that's you understandable. Know. And it, doing it in your backyard, all of your neighbors must be like, oh, this is. I would I think hope it's... so. I you know I have I have had some worry about that. You know that especially on those days where if it's you know, a little windy and it's more smoky, you know, am I, am I, you know, smoking somebody out and they're... Isn't they're, it sweet smoke though? There must be a sweetness. I think it's, that depends on the nose of the beholder. <laughs> Very good. Okay, we better let Russ get moving yeah. on to another tree. Yes, let's go and we'll just take a walk and take a look at sure. some of these other trees. Let me... I just use plastic bucket for my collection and then this is the sap going into the bag and you can see it's just a dripping away here not that you can hear that so this is one of the, that's where it's the, that tap is actually in there upside down um, because I the end of it got broken off so I got I got a bunch of these uh, taps from a, a friend of mine. That was how I got part of how I got started. I I was um, one of my friends was uh, starting to do this, and um, you know, so I'd go I'd go help him with things and. How far do you let the bags fill up? Well, um, you can you can let them get pretty full. I mean, they can get probably three quarters of the way full. There can be you could have several gallons in a bag. Um, the 
the risk always is is that if the if the bag gets too full, it either um, ends up pulling itself out of the bag holder or it uh, pulls the tap out of the tree. Uh, you know, everything falls on the ground while you lost it all. Um, you know, and as you saw, one of the bags was was leaking, so that's always something that I'm trying to check too to make sure that um, it's not just running right through or, um, you know, the stuff gets out of position. So I usually come out and check every day, um, you know, unless it's, if it's been, you know, really, really cold, something where I know that nothing's going to really run, uh, you know, then I might skip that day. But, you know, pretty much I come out every day, which is sort of part of the I don't know. That's part of the that's part of the ritual of the whole thing too. Is that it gets you, you know, gets you out. Uh, you know, gets you out. It's uh, one more reason to get out into the woods and see what's going on. Yeah, and it's a great up a great reason to get out in the woods and and especially on a beautiful day like today. We're out here on a beautiful Saturday. It's 50 degrees and and it's just gorgeous. You can hear the foundry in the background. You might be able to hear the industrial work going on but we're in the woods where we have pileated woodpecker and it's just beautiful out here so how long do most people tap for is it is it a temperature thing or is it a time thing how long the run lasts varies from year to year um, you know some years it can be pretty intense and short and others it'll be you know sort of fits and spurts that you'll it'll run for a few days and then it won't run for a while like you know the, if the weather changes here there might be days where there's nothing happening uh, or very little happening um, you know and then you'll you'll hit a good day and there'll be you know all kinds of sap uh, that you have to haul out of here and is that temperature dependent usually yes yeah temperature and in part sun you know I, I mean if it's if it's warm and sunny, uh, that's that's usually the best. Can you tell me if you have any extra syrup left over? Are you going to have any available for people that want to try this? Absolutely, absolutely. I was actually I I told Kari on the way over here that I kind of I missed it. I was going to bring a jar for you and then I forgot. Um, so you have to cut. Like I said, you have to come when I'm boiling, and then you know we can use that as bait. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. I don't, I don't think I'll that's. I'll bring cornbread and pancakes. We'll be ready. <laughs> it's, uh, it is really good on cornbread. You you, know, you take a slice of cornbread and you you cut it and you you kind of flip the cut side up and you pour the maple syrup over that so that it soaks right into the cornbread. Yeah, I've sort of done that before, yeah. <laughs> quite more than once, but I sort of have never done it like fresh off the boil pot. Oh. <laughs> The people that I guess are really good at this, they can probably come really close to having finished syrup when it's coming off the pan. Um, I Just to clarify, what, what I end up doing is you boil it down quite a ways, um, and then I, I end up with it in a big kettle in the house where you've got really good control with, your, you know, with, a, with a stove burner. To, so that you can really keep good control of the temperature, and then I use a, 
a digital candy thermometer to to get my temperature and you know watch that carefully and then you're you know I've got my jars set up and all that stuff for which reminds me I got to go get uh, I got to go get some lids so that I, I'm ready so one of the important details of a maple syrup guy yes so they've been kind of short supply that um, so I I think I saw a um, a label being made on Facebook too. So is that? Yeah. So that would that would be my wife's artwork. So yeah, you'll have to talk to her. That was her creation. So we have two lines. Oh, okay. Two lines of syrup. Oh, well, this there's there's a one is called sweet tooth uh, syrup, uh, maple syrup, and the other. Uh, is uh, run forest run so, <laughs> so. that's great that's awesome what we hope the forest will do for us that's, i love that i've never heard anyone else using that that's fantastic would you want to come and see a couple of really old maple trees and then there's a maple snag it shows you sure. the interplay between the living and the dead trees here well not dead Source of life for other things. When the tree dies, that's kind of that's that's the first half of its life. All of the the things that happen to the tree after it after it dies, you know, the whether it's a a food source for the woodpeckers or it's a you know nesting place for the bugs or you know there's all different sorts of habitat and even when it even when it falls down that. Uh, you know that it's then a source for uh, growth for mushrooms and, and different fungi, and, um, which is another thing that we do do uh, out here. We do um, do some harvesting of uh, mushrooms, both uh, uh, chanterelle mushrooms and uh, and um, chicken of the woods uh, and oyster mushrooms if we can find them. Um, and uh, and then we do do some uh, uh, growing of shiitake mushrooms in, in logs uh, as well. So. so when do you when do you hunt for mushrooms? Is that year round or certain times? That's uh, a little later spring thing. Uh, I mean we the shiitake seem to uh, come about the same time as the asparagus does. Um, and then uh, the um, they, there's a second season in the fall. So what are we coming to see here, Kari? Well, this is one of the big mother trees, I would call it anyway. You know, it's one of the old, old red maples that are here. And, you know, clearly it's a very hardy genetic stock. And foresters oftentimes like to leave trees like this in woods because they know that they've got good genetic vigor and strength and so they end up being a big seed source for um, new trees in the woods you know in terms of regeneration you can tell by the size of this tree that it's you know it's quite old it's got quite substantial girth and height wise kind of neat there are a couple of these bigger old maples that's an old one over there too and there's another one over there a lot of the maple that's coming in actually is younger stock um, 
According to historical records, this area was actually all pastured. Well, when European settlers were here and were farming, so they had a lot of, they would let livestock in here. When we bought the property, actually there wasn't as much, um, there weren't as many trees. There was more of a grassy cover in the understory. But gradually, you know, the maple succession is coming in and, and um, you know, gradually starting to dominate the, the site. And what you're saying that you what you bought 20, 20 some years ago, right? We've had it about 25 years. There's a lot of small trees. You've cleared out a lot of barberry. There's um, barberry brush piles all over the place here in the snow right now. You can see all the cavities that have been created by the um, woodpeckers, like the pileated woodpeckers, nuthatches, our cavity nesters, chickadees, um, a number of species. So it's just it's neat to see these two standing things, one that's, quote, dead, but still is giving life to other things, and then the other that's, you know, still alive and giving life. And, uh... Yep. Someone wondered if you'd want to talk a, a bit about the value of urban forests and why places like this are really important. Well, I think that, you know, obviously having a, a urban forest it's a green space area. It's an opportunity for carbon capture. The value of having having a piece of nature that's that's close to the city that people can can enjoy. I mean, even if they're just driving by, you know, on the road and can see the the forest that's there and um, you know the beauty of it and the you know the various seasons of the year. Um, you know, I think that has a has a important psychological value to people, and um, you know, I think as far as the the idea of having urban agriculture, you know, where you, you know, sort of that whole idea of eat local, and you know, that you can say, well, you know, my my maple syrup was produced just down the road, or the you know, I'm eating mushrooms that came out of this woods right here, or the, the honey I'm using is, you know, just came from, from right around here. There may be, again, there may be some health health benefits to, to some of that stuff, that there's some thought that, like, locally produced honey with some of the pollens, that that may help with with some allergy types of symptoms. And it's really more that idea of going, I didn't get maple syrup that got thrown on a truck and was trucked from Vermont uh, or from Canada to, to Wisconsin to, to use and that, I've, that we've burned a bunch of fossil fuel to bring this to your table. You know, it's a, it's a really local food chain. Um, I think that's, there's, there's real value in that. For the person, for the environment, for the world, it's, you know, it's just one way of of trying to reduce our impact a little bit. You know, Russ, I think another thing worth mentioning maybe is how I still know people who don't know the difference between true maple syrup and log cabin maple syrup. syrup. Yes, that's actually corn syrup with maple flavoring. Right, right, right. So there's there is very much a difference between between that and 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 true maple syrup. The corn syrup is a commercial product that's 
from corn and the food chemists do things to to make it taste like maple syrup or some sometimes they'll they'll add a little maple syrup to it um, you know and then you've got your caramel dyes or whatever to to try and mimic the color I'm pretty biased that way I mean I really like maple you know regular you know natural maple syrup is is a pretty splendid thing and uh, you know the other stuff is is sort of trying to artificially create that um, you know and, and part of it is making maple syrup is a very labor-intensive process there's coming out there's the tapping there's the collecting of the sap there's the hauling of the sap I end up building the hearth that that holds my pan every year uh, some some people have the fortune of they have a sugar shack and they've got their everything set up that way. But that's a that's a bigger operation. You know, you got to collect the wood, you got to burn the wood, you've got you know you've got to finish the product, you've got to can the product. And I don't mean to minimize what what goes on in the production of of the of the artificial stuff because I'm sure there's a lot that's involved in that too. But um, I think that part of the reason that that's done is because that product can be made, you know, less expensive. This is sort of the point. People wonder, I think, sometimes if they're not familiar with what real maple syrup is and how it actually comes to be in the bottle on the shelf, why is a bottle of Log Cabin $2 on the grocery store shelf compared to a bottle of true pure maple syrup that could be $15 for the same size bottle? Right, right. Right, and that's exactly the point. Is there's a lot more labor that goes into into that. Uh, part of it is is you have to have you have to have the land, you have to have the the trees. In non-COVID times, it's something it, you can get together with people, and you know whether you're gathering and collecting, and whether you're gathering and around when you're boiling. I mean, that was part of part of how I got started with this was that you know I was going over to a friend's house to help him boil his sap it was a reason to get together mm -hmm. community um, gathering yeah. yeah you know and that it was a it was a social you know it's a social event it's a great thing too you know, that is so. a great thing I guess under COVID times it's more of a meditative practice than a social it's practice it's a little more isolating <laughs> you know although it's still um, you know I think that um, you know, I'll probably have have uh, friends that maybe come and gather some wood or something. You know, there's enough brush piles and things here that could be used for for boiling. That do you want to talk about just sort of um, the passing on the legacy to the next generation? And I think it's important in the sense of teaching teaching kids about this kind of stuff is you know I think they they pretty much will universally like maple syrup um, but being able to kind of see where it comes from and kind of what the process is you know as a way of, of helping them to understand the value of a natural area you know if they can come out and participate in some of this stuff where uh, you you know could have them collect the sap and that they can be out here and hear the birds chirp and you know feel the sunshine and look at the trees and see the bugs and you know that's all I think is all really elemental education and is it's important for them to to understand the 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 importance of having natural areas
Thanks, Russ, and thanks, Kari, and thanks, Savi, for this enjoyable nature experience where we're learning how to tap maple trees and learning more about the biodiversity here at Oz Natural Area. Thank you for listening to Common Roots Rising. You can learn more about how we are cultivating community at commonrootsrising.org.